Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to very nearly, but not quite, the final 2021 edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. And Eric, there's no other way to put it. We are kingmakers. You come on this podcast and great things happen for you career-wise. Think of the number of times our man Brian Custer has been on the pod and look at him right now. He's too busy to come back on. His career is stratospheric. College basketball, does all the Showtime hosting, Sports Center, and now our buddy Brian Campbell has joined in the fun. One minute, he's on our pod, and then almost literally the next minute, Showtime reveals that he is joining the Showbox announce team. Honestly, they should all be lining up, nay, begging to come on the pod at this rate. Yeah, it's uh, it's the opposite of the SI cover curse or the Madden right. cover curse, um, You know, except for when we had that little streak a few months ago where a couple of boxers came on the pod and both promptly lost, but we'll ignore that. Uh, in terms of broadcasters, yes, we are kingmakers. Um, my sources tell me that Campbell wasn't even in remote consideration for the Showbox gig. Then our pod dropped, and his 25 minutes or so of being able to more or less keep pace with us convince the powers that be within minutes after listening to our podcast to just give him the show box job so you're welcome bc the irony is you know who the, you know of course the front runners for that gig until then we're us <laughs> oh that the bitter irony it's like straight Isn't out it? of an O. henry story <laughs> it's just it's it's tragic yes always the kingmakers never the king right in all seriousness though i am thrilled for for brian and i'm thrilled that one of the good guys in boxing media yes. got this job because I'm sure there were some less good guys in boxing media angling for it. Uh, in addition yeah. to us, um, as as a couple of less good guys, uh, we weren't even angling, but we're definitely among the less good guys. Anyway, <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to hearing BC on that first January Showbox card. I am too. I am too. Congratulations to our guy there. Um, all right. Look, as I hinted at, this is almost but not quite the final podcast of the year. Uh, we have some special episodes to come before the calendar turns over to 2022, but we will save those details until the end. But this is our last standard episode, and so we will have our much-coveted and highly anticipated year-end awards. We're tired of advancing other people's careers, so no guests this week. Um, but before... We get to all our other stuff. Uh, we have a bit of news to cover, and we have several fights to recap. And we begin in Tampa, where on Saturday night, Jake Paul ended his rematch with Tyron Woodley in the most dramatic and emphatic fashion possible. Yeah, if their first fight in August saw Paul overcome his first test as a pro boxer, winning an eight-round split decision— this fight saw him overcome another test, but in a very different way. Uh, Paul had to fight through a nasty gash on his forehead caused by an accidental elbow in the third round and some moments of discomfort, especially in that third round. He overcame all that to send Woodley to sleep with a huge overhand right in the sixth. Woodley was out immediately, crashed face first to the canvas and looked shaken for a few minutes afterward. With the win, Paul moves to 5-0, four knockouts, and former UFC champ Woodley falls to 0-2 as a boxer. And credit where credit is due, it was an excellent punch, and not what some might call a, a lucky or random punch. Jake Paul feigned a jab to the body and then took advantage of the fact that Woodley had dropped his left hand, and that destructive and definitive ending 
came along and couldn't have come at a better time. Uh, the crowd had been booing the sloppiness of the action for a couple of rounds. There were even chants of fuck Jake Paul starting. Uh, Kieran, just how vital was it that Paul landed that punch when he did in terms of keeping the bandwagon rolling? It might seem like an sort of overreaction, but I, I think it was absolutely vital, mm -hmm. actually. Uh, um, look, the folks who turn out to watch Jake Paul are not, by and large, pure boxing fans. And, and while some of them are obviously going to understand boxing better than others, no, a lot of them don't. They don't understand or perhaps don't even care where Paul stands in the grand scheme of things in boxing and how good or not good he is as a boxer. They may not, they may not have seen a lot of fights. They may not understand that fights can sometimes be sloppy affairs. Um, they're on this ride because they already know Paul, and for reasons that are opaque to me, are fans of him and his and his online work. And, you know, maybe they're being carried along by by his claims that he's the biggest thing in the sport and he's going to fight Canelo and be a world champion. Um, that's evident in some of the social media reaction to the fight, which varies between Jake Paul is the greatest boxer in the world to that was a fix. Um, they're going to be carried along, I think, on this as long as he's scoring spectacular wins. They may not understand that even great boxers sometimes have off nights and crappy fights, and they were being subjected to a crappy fight. Um, I mentioned when we were talking to, to, to Brian Campbell last week that I think this whole thing has a shelf life, but I don't know what that shelf life is. Mm -hmm. It sort of became crystal clear to me on Saturday night that its expiration date is when Jake Paul stops knocking people out spectacularly on the regular basis right. i'm not at all convinced that his fandom's going to stick with him as he learns his craft and improves his performances the same way that we would want to stick with any other five and O boxer as he learns his craft and improves his performances uh, i don't know for certain but like another poor quality eight round decision fight might have started stretching the commitment of his fans to coming out to this. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't think it's hyperbole to suggest that this the whole like structure was under a little bit of threat here. But then he went out and pulled out a legitimately spectacular one-punch KO that, honestly, any boxer would be really happy to have on his or her resume. Uh, and that, I think, has actually breathed new life into this thing. He can now probably get away with another bad fight. Mm -hmm. Um Look, lots of boxing fans are there for the big moments and the spectacular KOs, but many of them are prepared to endure the growing pains to get there. A lot of Jake Paul's fans, I think, aren't. And it's kind of interesting to me because I suspect, you know, I, th I think Jake Paul's quite clearly taking this quite seriously. And I think he would himself genuinely like to improve and test himself against better opponents. But I'm not sure that's a viable option for him. He's not good enough of a boxer to win over fully the true boxing audience to appeal to his constituency. I think he's just going to have to be all circus fights all the time until people get bored with that. Uh, I do think that'll eventually become old, but I also now think that he's savvy enough to anticipate it mm -hmm. and, and change course or move to something else before it gets old, you know? So I think it's kind of interesting. It sort of, a few lights sort of went off of me on, on Saturday night, perhaps a little bit later than everybody else. But, you know, the sort of realization that it is what it is and he's going to have to stay in this lane. And if he ventures out of that lane, then it all ends. And, and it's just a question of how long he can just keep doing this particular thing that he does. Right. Um, but look, as you mentioned, he's now 5-0 with four KOs. His ledger includes a 
fellow YouTuber and an undersized NBA player. But it does now include two former MMA champions, um, guys with a lot of combat fight experience. And no one had done to Tyron Woodley in MMA or boxing what Jake Paul did to him. I have been pretty grumpy and get off my lawn about this whole Jake Paul thing. But is it time for folks like me to acknowledge that the dude can actually fight? Or is it still important to maintain this perspective here and this realization of, like I just said, he's in a very specific lane? Yeah, uh, perspective is definitely important. Um, You know, he can fight magnificently for a celebrity boxer. Right. He can fight okay-ish for a pro boxer. Um, His power is real. Let's acknowledge yeah. that. He he can do real damage when he lands clean. He has proven that now, even if he hasn't proven it against actual world-class boxing opposition. Basically, he has shown me that he can fight just well enough to keep this train rolling. Um, mm. He's a show. He he's, he's a performer. He's a hype man. And it only continues to work if he can fight sort of kind of adequately And the other thing he has to do, what you were basically just saying about the big knockout win here, is produce highlights. If he can do those two things, fight okay, doesn't have to look like a pound for pounder, but fight adequately and produce some highlights, then it keeps going. And and he has been checking those two boxes. Um, I actually thought the ring entrances for this fight were as telling as the fight itself. Um, (laughs) First off, the lesser of the two ring walk stories was that Woodley had a live rapper accompanying him. And it was the first time I can ever recall w- <laughs> that someone live rapped someone into the ring and the audio sounded good, right? I was thinking of you when that happened because yeah. you made it, that point to me before. Yeah, yeah. it actually yeah. sounded good. Although Woodley was wearing the big chunky headphones. So for all I know, he was listening to something else, <laughs> maybe the new Adele album. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, what really struck me was the Jake Paul entrance. He came out to YMCA. Yep. Seemed an odd choice. But he made it work. He was doing the arm motions <laughs> along with the, the chorus, and then the crowd was into it. There was a real party atmosphere. He was leaning into what makes him different. You know, he's not yes. he's not trying to be like all the other pro yes. boxers. He's taking a different approach, and it's working for him. Unfortunately, most of the quote-unquote action, once the bell rang, removed that party atmosphere he had created. Um, I respect Paul's technique for what a relative novice he is. Um, And I also respect his poise and his calm. Those are impressive. But this fight was mostly unwatchable. Um, Lots of holding, not many clean shots landing, neither guy letting their hands go enough. And then we get a knockout of the year candidate. Uh, More more on that when we do our year-end awards segment at the end of the pod, just uh, how good a knockout it was. Um, But followed by him screaming into the microphone about how he fucked Woodley up like he said he would. (laughs) And that was fun and good theater. So um, bottom line, I think it's fine to remain somewhat get off my lawn about him. Um, You know, he is still closer to being a sideshow than to being a contender. But I think he puts on a decent show, and I remain intrigued by a fight against Tommy Fury or some other low-level actual pro boxer to see how that goes. Um, But, you know, for the moment, he mostly had that one knockout right hand to thank for us having any of these positive things to say right now. It would be a whole different vibe if that fight had lasted two and a half more boring rounds instead. 
Yes, very much. All right, let's touch quickly on the other fight involving non-professional boxers, the four-rounder between ex-NBA point guard Darren Williams and former NFL running back Frank Gore. It was reclassified as an exhibition the day before the fight, and yet, because it's Florida, three judges scored it anyway and saw it as a split decision win for Williams. I got to tell you, guys named Gore just can't seem to win in Florida. Uh, oh. although, although at least in Ouch. this case, the entire planet isn't suffering the consequences. And, and there's a hanging Chad Ochocinco joke to be made to really oh. bring this all together, but I can't quite. I'll yeah, leave it out there. At the end of the year. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting it out of my system, Kieran. No dad oh. jokes in 2022, I'm sure. Um, Anyway, (laughs) it was a split decision, but I thought it was clear who won. I scored it 39-36 for Williams, who promptly announced he had no intention of putting himself through this again. He was, quote, one and done. Any quick thoughts, Kieran? Uh, Look, it was terrible. Um, but not as terrible as Brandon Marshall saying it reminded him of Anthony Joshua of Vladimir <laughs> yes, Klitschko. That was rough. That was that was grim. This was what it was. Um, neither man, especially Williams, appears to take himself seriously as a boxer. So that said, that enabled me to sort of like enjoy it a bit at times for what it was. Um, I especially liked uh, Williams' post-fight interview. Um, I, I think you touched on this, but in the preview, but it's it's interesting to and informative to watch professional athletes labor their way through a boxing match. And, and Marshall alluded to that himself, you know, like ah, these guys are used to go and, you know, 60 minutes and look at them. They're sucking wind already. This was actually a perfect matchup to have on this card. Hmm. Um, you know, this, this was what that crowd wanted. Um, that said, I don't know that we need to spend any time dissecting <laughs> right. it. So unless you have anything to add, we I, I, to the I don't box. really, we pretty okay. much covered it. Yep. Okay. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, the, you know, the, the actual boxing. The card opened with a 10-rounder featuring a pair of undefeated 140-pound prospects. Um, Liam Paro recovered from a first-round knockdown to score a split-decision win over Yomar Alamo. And uh, the over-under that I laid down there, I think, missed entirely. Moro saw our challenge and, and just avoided it, I think, didn't he? Unless I missed something. Yeah, I believe you did miss something. Just uh, at the, it, was, it was at the end. He saved it for post-fight. Um, it was after the decision. He said he sort of played with the wording. He said, "Alamo will remember." In reference to him suffering this close first loss, so I, I think the over—you got to say the over hits on that one. Okay, all right. Um, I totally missed that one. With the win, uh, Paro moves to 22 and over 13 KOs. Alamo falls to 20 wins, one defeat, and one draw with 12 KOs. If Williams Gore was the perfect amuse bouche, if you will, for mm-hmm. Paul Woodley, this I think was not. Um, it was a huge platform for these youngsters, but did they take advantage of it? Not really. Um, yeah. It was fine. They were both fine, but neither of them pulled a Montana love and did something yep. to start building a fan base. They did not write a classic new chapter in the historic Australia versus Puerto Rico boxing rivalry. <laughs> um, for what it's worth, I finished with Alamo one point ahead, but no Me problem too. with the decision. Yeah. Could have gone either way. Lots of close rounds. Paro was making the fight more, um, but Alamo, the counterpuncher, landed the biggest shots. Not a ton to say, really. It, it was a decent fight. Could have fit in just fine atop a showbox card, but nothing too spectacular happened. Neither fighter has me clamoring to see them again, yeah. nor dreading seeing them again. Agreed. Yeah. Okay, last fight on the show to discuss. The fight that, as Al Bernstein mentioned on the broadcast, hardcores were most looking forward to. The co-main event, a lightweight contest between Amanda Serrano and Miriam Gutierrez. 
Serrano won, as expected, and in dominant fashion, as expected, pounding Gutierrez to the head and body throughout, and on a couple of occasions seemingly coming close to stopping her. Gutierrez, though, was incredibly tough. Her face was a mess, nose and eyes swollen, but she made it to the end, as she did against Katie Taylor a year previously. Gutierrez drops to 14-2, and while Serrano climbs to 42-1-1, and and arguably more importantly, sets herself up for an apparent April date with Taylor at Madison Square Garden. Kieran, how impressed were you with Serrano's outing? And do you have an early pick for her clash with Taylor, assuming it gets made? I, I thought she looked very good. I, I wish her defense was a tenth as good as her offense. Um, but, you know, the same can be said sometimes of Taylor, too. Um, and I think in both cases, and the and the folks on the call alluded to this on Saturday night, that sometimes that might be sort of intentional benign neglect. Um, mm. You know, a sense that her opponent can't hurt her, uh, Amanda. So she simply decides to emphasize the exciting attacking part of her game. Um, I will say, having watched Taylor and Serrano back-to-back in back-to-back weeks, sort of makes me feel more confident in keeping Clarissa as the number one pound for pound fighter in the world. I just think she's just better um, technically as well as, you know, defensively much better as well now than these other, than the other two. But that said, uh, watching Amanda Serrano in full flow, I think it's beautiful to observe. I love her hand speed. I love her balance, love her economy and fluidity of motion. I love her punch selection. There's not much to take issue with her for me offensively. Who do I favor right now between her and Katie Taylor? I don't know. It's really tough, actually. Yeah. I think it's really close. I, both are much better offensively than, than defensively. Taylor can sometimes get a little ragged as a fight goes on if she gets dragged into a brawl, and that's what Serrano is going to want to try to do. But Katie conversely has the length and skill to move in and out and frustrate her a little bit. I don't know. I think not long ago I would have favored Serrano big, but... Although she looked a little sloppy last week, I think Taylor's really up to her game lately. And maybe 135 isn't the best weight for Serrano. So, yes, I'm going to edge Amanda Serrano still, but it's almost a pick em, I think. And I, as always, reserve the right not to make a firm decision until I absolutely positively have to. Oh, that is so Mulvaney of you. Is it not? <laughs> um, I... I think I favor Serrano slightly more than you do. Again, mm. not by much, but I do think she clearly has the better technique than mm-hmm. Katie Taylor. Um, but it, it is a pretty darn close call. Um, and, and by the way, before we move on, we should note that uh, Showtime announced after the card that Serrano Gutierrez, along with Paul Woodley and Williams Gore, will re-air on Showtime on Tuesday, December 28th at 9 p.m. Eastern and Pacific. Uh, so uh, there you go. How's that for me serving our corporate overlords? There you go. Quite right. Excellent. Um, and that sort of says all we needed to know about Paro and Alamo, really, as to whether they passed their audition. Yeah, it's Doesn't kind of it? interesting. Three three out of four. It's, you know, you get two out of four, nobody gets their feelings hurt. But when you put three out of four fights on, you're really making a statement. Yeah. Indeed. Uh, there was plenty of fight action elsewhere in the United States and around the world last week. Uh, and while Showtime won Saturday night in terms of eyeballs and viral moments, uh, really because of that one right hand, the zone had themselves a pretty damn good Saturday uh, with a couple of action-packed main events. First of all, in Manchester, England, England, across the Atlantic Sea, Joseph Parker and Derek Chisora waged what I thought was a surprisingly entertaining rematch of their May meeting. Um, Parker won that first encounter via a slightly contentious decision. Uh, he left no doubt second time around, dropping to Shaw three times and largely dominating him. Ah, the scores were still terrible, though. Um, somehow the judges found five, five, and six rounds to give to Chisora. 
I th the scores of 115-112, 115-111, 114-112, and I thought were terrible, even if the right man got the decision. Uh, later, also on zone, this time from San Antonio, uh, Zerdo Ramirez had to endure some rocky moments before finally stopping Yuneski Gonzalez in the 10th round of an action-packed light heavyweight brawl. Uh, sticking with the light heavyweights, on Friday, Artur Betabiev suffered a horrendous gash on his forehead in his defense against Marcus Brown. And that's a theme now in Brown fights. Um, let's not forget that horrendous gash on Badu Jack's head uh, mm -hmm. when he fought Brown on the Pacquiao-Brona undercard. Um, the ringside physician told Betterbeev at the end of round four that he had one more round, but then, I don't know, he must have left the building and gone for ice cream or something because nobody followed up on that. Um, that was soon forgotten. And anyway, the... Sight and taste of his own blood just seemed to motivate Bedeviev, who dropped Brown in the seventh with a body shot, and then again, this time in the count, uh, this time for the count in the ninth. Um, that prompted this week's tweet of the week, and it's from our man Stephen Breadman Edwards. And goodness only knows what kind of great career moves await him with a number of times. <laughs> yeah. uh, he is at Breadman Boxing, if you do not follow him on Twitter. He tweeted, uh, Jason Voorhees looks, quote-unquote, like you can avoid him. He looks like a killer, but you can stab him, shoot him, and burn him. You can get some work in. But he always catches up to you in the end. Jason Voorhees equals Arter Betterbeev. <laughs> um, Eric, do you agree with our man Brad that after he looked a little subpar last time out, uh, Betterbeev is now back in cinematic serial killer mode? Um, and is there anything to add on Ramirez Gonzalez or Parker Chisora? Yeah, these were all interesting fights in their own ways. Not many dull moments among the trio. Wow. Um, and I actually, I don't think Better BF ever really stopped being in, what'd you call it, cinematic serial killer mode. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he had a slightly rusty off night last time out uh, against Adam Danis. But, uh, you know, it wasn't like Bivol eking one out over Craig right. Richards or anything. He still right. dominated most of the fight and got the stoppage. And uh, same here. He, you know, he, he struggled with Brown in spots. He had a lot of blood to try to see through. Um, but, you know, Marcus Brown is no chump. And eventually, Betterbeev was walking right through him. Very good win that ended about how you expected. A, a mid to late round stoppage for Betterbeev, who's now 17-0 with 17 knockouts. I've been saying for more than two years now that Canelo versus yeah. Betterbeev is the fight to make. You know, this ain't no Andrade versus Charlo. This really is the fight to make. <laughs> I, I need to see it. Um, the Zerto-Gonzalez fight was a lot of fun, if mostly one-sided. Um, there's a round in there that has to get mentioned when we do our year-end awards later. Um, with the fun and ultimately decisive win, Zerto also remains in the Canelo sweepstakes, I would think. Uh, but the most notable fight among these three to me was Parker Chisora, because I was simply not expecting that. Um, it's not the fight of the year. It's it's not even one of the top handful of contenders for me. But if there were a category for fight of the year relative to anticipation and expectations, <laughs> this might win it. I, I just wasn't expecting much. And Parker decided in un-Parker-like fashion that he was coming for a brawl and looking for a knockout. And... The fun hardly relented all 12 rounds. My goodness, that right uppercut from Parker was a thing of beauty, used it over and over again. And full credit to Chisora for his veteran calm and his recuperative powers. And uh, I had about a pizza and a half riding on a bet on this fight to go the distance. And it looked like I was going to have to skip a meal. But uh, nope, uh, Chisora's toughness bailed me out and made me a winner. Um that said, I totally agree with you. The fight was not as close as the judges had it. Um, 
And I think we're nearing the end of the road for Chisora. He, he, yeah. he definitely doesn't need to be in any more fights like this one. You worry about him a little bit, right? Like, I mean, full credit to the man, but it looks to me like the last few rounds, he, he was really fighting on instinct. Mm. And um, uh, yeah, you also wonder if he's the kind of guy who doesn't know what else to do. And and yeah, I, I started to worry about what his future might look like a little bit because, yeah, he, he's in a lot of these kind of fights. Yeah, I think he and his team would be well advised to just have have at least a long think about, uh, you know, whether whether there's really much road remaining at this point. By the way, I thought that just occurs to me, mm-hmm. great, great corner work by uh, in Parker's Corner by Andy Lee, who's mm-hmm. also carving out a reputation as a very good commentator. And why is that? Why is that? <laughs> I think I know where this is headed. Yeah. There you go. Andy Lee, regular Showtime Boxing Podcast guest. Oh, God, there we made go. him. We really did. He was nothing right? until he met us. Nothing. Not a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Emmanuel Stewart had nothing to do with any <laughs> no, of it. It was no, us. One. <laughs> right. um, a couple of other fights to note before we move on to the news segment. Um, in Japan on Tuesday, Naoya Inoue retained his Bantamweight belts with an eighth-round stoppage of Thailand's Aran Depayan. And in Uzbekistan, a strange ending to a junior middleweight bout between fast-rising prospect Israel Madrimov and veteran contender Michel Soro of France. Just before the end of the ninth round, Madrimov hurt Soro, and the crowd got loud as the Uzbek opened up, and the bell rang, and the ref couldn't hear it at all, so Madrimov kept punching for several seconds, landing several big shots after the round had ended, and referee Salvador Salva called a stoppage with Soro taking all this punishment, except the stoppage came at basically like 3.05 of the round, and the ref didn't know it. Uh, There was confusion. Madrimov and his team celebrated. Soro and his team protested. They wanted the fight to continue. But the decision was made after a few minutes that, nope, can't restart it. Fight's over. So Madrimov gets the TKO win, although I think it should be declared a no contest um, since the knockout came after the round ended. I don't have a clue how things work with the boxing commission in Uzbekistan, but I think that would be the most fair outcome. Your thoughts, Kieran? Yeah, um, the, take the Inoue fight first. It was a mm-hmm. slightly curious one. Um, Depayan did not belong in the ring with him. We we thought that beforehand, and it was very clear as the fight unfolded. And yet, Inoue took a little bit of time getting him out of there. I, I, watching it, it felt like there was a combination of factors. Like, Inoue was fighting within himself a little bit, maybe fighting down to the level of his opposition. Um Maybe he wanted to get some rounds in. I'm not quite sure. Uh, also, Depayan made no attempt to engage him, even slightly. He really just kept moving around the ring and periodically smiling when Noe hit him. Um, but, you know, once when Noe broke through, he just unleashed on him, put him down once. Um, uh, Depayan got up, but then the referee stopped in the fight after Noe landed a few more punches. Uh, mostly, I think, because it was obvious how overmatched he was. And, man, that Madrimov sorrow thing... Yeah, it looked like Madrimov was breaking through anyway, but that was a lot of punches after the bell. Did you see um, Soros trainer Abel Sanchez? He climbed up onto the apron almost still while the punches were, were flying there, and I'm not sure if he's, he was trying to like bring the referee's attention to the fact that the round should have been over, and then the referee called it off, and you just see Abel just, just sort of throw his hands up and down, <laughs> not in a kind of protesting, but in a kind of uh, boxing right. sort of resignation sort of manner. Um, I, I mean, I agree with you. It, it is up to the local commission, isn't it, I believe? Um, 
whether it, it does get reclassified or not and so one suspects that it won't but I, I made the exact same note that has to really it has to be reclassified as a no contest no fault at all of Madrimov right did what he was supposed to do um nor did it appear that that's that um you know Sorrow was sort of responding to the bell and stopped fighting because he heard the bell he was beating him up but we have bells for a reason um that's the reason we have <laughs> arbitrary lengths of rounds so it was a mistake but it does feel like it needs to be rectified in the record there yeah okay not too many items of news this week i, I guess the nearest to a main event uh it's, a, it's an interesting and wide-ranging interview um that uh, da- uh cano alvarez had with dan rayfuel for world boxing news the, the key interesting point is that canelo said he had no idea he was going to be fighting for a cruiserweight title next until trainer Eddie Reynoso stood up and asked for the shot at an alphabet group convention last month. Uh, Canelo hadn't yet arrived at the convention, apparently. I don't know about you, but I had a little bit of a hard time believing that completely. Like, Canelo's such a control freak um, in terms of his career and everything. It seems odd to me that he would be completely in the dark about such a bold move that Eddie Reynoso would have come up with that with. <laughs> having a conversation with Canelo about it. Uh, but I also have no idea what his motivation would be for, you know, not telling the truth. So I don't know. I, I found that a very interesting uh, point. Um, in the same interview, he was quite dismissive of the notion that by moving up to Cruiser, he is ducking the likes of David Benavides or Jamal Charlo. Uh, his, the quote uh, in Dan's piece, he says, uh, look, what I see and what I know is I beat the number one fighter at 168. It was Callum Smith, uh, he said. Uh, next, Billy Joe Saunders, second. Next, the third. Uh, which means by which he means Caleb Plant. So I beat all the best at 168. They were all undefeated. I beat all the best at 168. And now there's people saying you need to fight this one, like always. This always happens. But I beat the best champion at 168. Then they say he's scared of him or he's scared of that guy. I'm not scared about anything. I don't avoid anybody. But what does what does Benavidez bring to me? Nothing. Nothing. Mention a champion that they fight before. How many? I don't. I really don't care. Haters are always going to be haters. And I hope he said that in English. Um, <laughs> we talked about this before, you know, uh, Canelo moving up to Cruiserweight, the whole issue of fighting David Benavidez, all of that kind of stuff. What were your thoughts on what he had to say there in that interview? So so all the latter stuff about who he's fought at 168 and who he's supposedly ducking, that all makes total sense. I'm completely on his side. Um, you fight opponents one at a time. No superstar ends up having time to fight everybody. How right. can he be ducking Benavidez when people have just started talking about Benavidez as a top right. opponent for him? Canelo's track record is that he will face whoever. Uh, bad styles like Lara that his promoters didn't want him to fight, he fought anyway. Big step-ups like Trout that his promoters didn't want him to take at the time, he took it anyway. He fought the beast Gennady Golovkin twice. Now, yeah, yeah. maybe it marinated for a year while people were clamoring for it, but one year, that's nothing. Um, yeah. At 168... Yeah, he's beaten three of the four or five top possible opponents, all in short order. So it's ridiculous. Anyone who says Canelo is ducking anyone is not to be taken seriously. Um, as I said, my dream fight for Canelo is against Better Biev. Canelo could have made that fight by now. He hasn't yet. You don't hear me accusing him of ducking Better Biev. That would be pure idiocy. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, somewhere out there, if Canelo fights at Cruiserweight next, there will be people saying he's ducking Better Biev. Other people saying he's ducking Benavidez. Other people saying he's ducking Charlo. Other people saying Bivol or Zerdo. It, it never ends. Um, so as far as him fighting at Cruiserweight next, 
I'm with you. I can't imagine Eddie Reynoso announcing an intention to fight in that weight class without Canelo okaying it. It just that makes no sense. Maybe, maybe you could convince me that nobody is lying here and there was just a miscommunication. Mm. You know, like Eddie and Canelo had a conversation about fighting at cruiserweight. Canelo said that might be a good idea. And Eddie right. took it to mean that he's fully on board and he ran with it. I, I could maybe see something like that, but there's just no way that Canelo was fully in the dark and Eddie did this all on his own. So yeah, I, I don't know quite what to think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in other news, a couple of fights are getting done for 2022, including one for the just discussed David Benavides. He will face former middleweight belt holder David Lemieux on Showtime in April or May, exact date to be determined. And uh, we talked a couple of weeks back about the Jesse Vargas, Liam Smith Jr. middleweight bout that is now slated for February 5th in Las Vegas on DAZN with a fantastic co-main for us fans of the Superflies, a rematch between Strisaket Soaring Visay and Carlos Quadras. Um, news broke on Saturday that Amantas Stanionis, who an alphabet group ordered to face Manny Pacquiao conqueror Jordanis Ugas as part of an elimination tournament, Stanionis has stepped aside, freeing up Ugas to face Errol Spence early next year. I didn't realize Spence and Ugas were talking, but apparently they were, according to boxing scene's Jake Donovan. Um, and finally, a news item that hits me in a couple of different sweet spots. <laughs> um, former 154-pound titleist Yuri Foreman has a new gig. The ordained rabbi is certifying kosher foods, specifically vegan kosher foods. He said, quote, we know way more about the sweet science than the science of food. It's horrific what people do to themselves. Even though we say Jewish law says don't harm animals, we're harming ourselves every single day, end quote. Uh, Kieran, your thoughts on vegan Yuri Foreman or any of the rest of the above? I think the most important item out of all of those is that everyone involved is doing the right thing and allowing Ugas to go straight to Spence. Yeah, I didn't know they were talking either, but, you know, Ugas had sort of said, well, this doesn't seem fair that I should be being put in a tournament. Right. If Manny Pacquiao had won this fight, he'd be going on to fight Errol Spence. You wouldn't make him go through a tournament. Um, and, and so now he doesn't. Now he gets to fight Errol Spence. He gets the full reward that I think he deserves for that uh, performance against Manny Pacquiao. Um and yeah, Strisaket and Quadras is fantastic. When they met the first time around, I don't think either was the big player that they are now in that division. It's yet another of the fabulous mix and match that's mm -hmm. continuing to take place among these guys. Uh, they deserve all of them. A ton of credit for what they are continuing to do with and to each other. Um, and uh, yeah, look, I, I, I really liked that news item about Yuri Foreman. It was really interesting to read his pathway of, of how he got to the point of, of becoming vegan there was one little detail that i thought was great how he mentioned that um he and his family have found themselves being invited less by other families to shabbat dinners now mm. that they are vegan <laughs> and those of us who are vegetarian or vegan uh sort of feel his pain if not necessarily not being invited but the enormous stress that it seems to cause people when they know that you're coming to dinner and you don't <laughs> eat meat uh yeah we could all tell similar stories there yeah, I'll, I'll add on that as we take this down a strange side road talking about okay. uh, veganism or near veganism. Um, you know, there's never been a better time to be a vegan um, or, or a near vegan uh, as I am. You know, to each their own. I'm not trying to convert anyone. Um, but the older that I get, the more that 
I get turned off by eating animals. Um, but fortunately, we live in a time when there are a lot of other options. Yeah. It does create the problems that you suggest, and it creates those problems in my house that uh, I am the only one who eats the way that I eat and is limited in the way that I am limited. Some of it by choice, some of it not, my lactose intolerance. But it forces, you know, when my wife does the cooking, she's kind of cooking a bunch of different things all at once, and it's not easy. Um, but I'll just mention that Again, not trying to twist anybody's arm, but if it's something that someone is thinking about with New Year's right around the corner, I recommend doing what I did several years ago when I went pescatarian. I did it as a New Year's resolution, and the plan was to try it for two weeks and see how I liked it. Um, and I ended up having zero cravings for the foods I'd given up. And I've actually developed a taste for a lot of vegetables that I never used to like. Mm. Um, so... I know this is kind of off topic and has nothing to do with boxing, but you know, listeners, they mostly come to us for life advice, really, Kieran, I think. So, (laughs) you know, so just throwing it out there as something to consider as a new year's resolution for people who are maybe having thoughts of giving it a try. There you go. As we say repeatedly, there is stuff on this podcast that you will not get on other boxing podcasts. Yeah, I don't think so. And, 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 you know, we may, just as we made the careers of Brian Campbell, Brian Custer, Andy Lee, on and on, we might really propel veganism with what with what we just discussed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. It is top five list time. It's mm. the last top five list challenge of the year. And you have a couple of weeks to think about it. Um, and I'm going to take us back to our opening segment and Saturday night's festivities in Tampa. We talked a little bit, only a little bit, about Duran Williams and Frank Gore and how it's instructive and interesting to watch two first-rate professional athletes struggle through four rounds of boxing. But to be fair, take a boxer and drop him or her in some other random sport and they are unlikely to immediately excel, um, although they'll probably do better than the rest of us. Um, But there is a history of boxers trying out their hand at other sports sometimes still active boxers. Equally, there's a history of pro and college athletes turning to boxing as a profession and sometimes doing quite well at it. So, your challenge, Eric, Hmm. give me a top five list of two or more sport boxers. Um, They can be, your your criteria here are very broad. Um, It can be boxers who came to the sport after doing well in another sport at some level and that's mm-hmm. generally going to be like the college ranks um but it could be pro ranks or it can be boxers who tried their hand at another sport while boxing or after boxing um there are no you know particular specific criteria here there's no right or wrong listing there's no bar for how good a boxer has to have been at the other sport that they participated in prior to, during, or after their boxing career, or how good someone from another sport has to have been at boxing. Other combat sports are allowed, right? Okay, that was going to be one of my questions. Boxers who turn to MMA or vice versa, that's absolutely allowed if you want it. Um, Yeah, it's a very, very general thing. It's, It's more of... Yeah, it's less of a challenge and more of a fun invitation, I think, to sort of go through, have a think about some boxers who, you know, some there are some who are just generally very good athletes and some who showed that before boxing, some who played around with it a little bit during boxing. 
those are your those are your options here. Who are the boxers who've at least dabbled in other sports? Okay, this is interesting. Definitely a little something different. I'm glad I have two weeks to, uh, yeah, to ponder I it. Done it. I don't think I'd have given it to you if you only had one week. It was okay. when, when we were talking about it being a two week thing. I thought, all right, because this might require a little bit of thinking and researching. Okay, and just in terms of ranking, obviously you said it's kind of informal, but I should I, you would like me to think of it as sort of a combination of of how they did at the how how good they were at the two sports that if or does or does how elite they were in boxing well, i'm trying to think no, you know what you get how to... to be quite honest you get to devise your own rank okay it might be based on a combination right. or it might be like oh this was a really good boxer and they were actually pretty good at right other sport and so right. they should be number one even if they're not the best boxer on the list but right. like the combination of the two kind of works out at the best you right know, okay i think i think i'm at least going to make it that they were decent at the other okay. sport that they tried whether it was boxing that was not their first sport and they came to it that they couldn't have been totally horrendous. like uh just as an example of someone who will not make the list um and i think i did i Reference the minute ball refrigerator Perry fight recently. I feel yes, like I did. Yes, yes, so, yes. like you know, I refrigerator Perry had a fine football career, stunk as a boxer. Uh, so he, you know, it would be someone who came to it and at least did okay as a boxer or yeah. boxer who at least did okay in the other sport that they yes. tried. I think is going to be where I'll set the bar. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Works for you. Sure. Why not? Do I have a choice? <laughs> You could just, I mean, go screw myself and not do it. I mean, I don't think there's, there's, you know, there's any sanction for that. Yeah, I don't know. We don't have penalties devised for not yeah. doing the assignments. Or uh, I could just show up next week with my own top five list about something completely different, and you can't stop me, I guess. But show up next week, and you'll be all by yourself. Oh, you're right. I'm not going to be here next week. <laughs> yes, I will be doing my own private, <laughs> one man, unrecorded, unreleased podcast. It's going to be big. There you go. All right, it is time now for our final segment of the year. It's our year-end awards. Uh, it has been an eventful year in boxing, um, and we've got plenty to choose from uh, in terms of our awards. Uh, we're going to take it in turns handing out our, our awards in five different categories. And while the odds are good that we will agree on at least most of them, given our prior track record on such matters, who knows? May I offer a surprise or two? Coming up, but don't bank on it. Coming up, we will have our awards for Fight, Fighter, KO, and Upset of the Year. But Eric, why don't you kick it off with the award for Round of the Year? Gladly. Um, I thought this was a tough call. Several very close contenders. And after you reveal your pick, I guess I can come back to some of my honorable mentions. I won't mention them yet. Uh, but my pick for Round of the Year... By the narrowest of margins, I'm going with round 12 of Juan Francisco Estrada versus Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez 2. Uh, great drama with nobody knowing quite how the fight was being scored. So you weren't sure who was ahead, but you could sense the likelihood that round 12 could decide the fight. So that there was this drama baked in, and then they gave us three minutes of great action. Both guys let it all hang out. It was the crescendo that the whole outstanding fight had been building to. And um, spoiler here, I feel bad that I'm not giving these guys fight of the year because, mm, well, yeah. I can't, as we'll discuss. Um, but their fight was fantastic, and it deserves to be recognized. So I'm giving them round of the year. How about you? Yeah, I always find this category the hardest. Um, you know, I think it's always... 
It's always easier to recall, or it's almost always easier to recall a great fight or a great KO than it is a round, mm. um, unless you have an exceptional situation like we had last year with Zapeda Baranchik. Um, yeah. You know, I, there were several fights that were very, very good fights that had within them two or more really, really good, uh, good rounds, or <clears throat> one very, very good round. Uh, Javante Davis, Mario Barrios. Uh, round 10 was especially good. There mm-hmm. were several rounds, actually, you could have picked from Estrada Chocolatito, really, um, that, that were definitely up there. A uh, couple of good rounds in Stephen Fulton, Brandon Figueroa. And honestly, just Saturday night, uh, round four of Ramirez Gonzalez. Yep. That was kind of like rock'em, sock'em, robots kind of stuff there, really. But for me, the one that really stands out, it's the one that's easiest to visualize. It's the one that's easiest at the end to go, oh, yeah, remember that round? You could say that round and people will know exactly what happened. Uh, it's the round that caused the collective volume of boxing fans in the arena and at home to rise the most. And it's kind of funny because it's a fight that I haven't been dumping on, but I've been less wild about than a lot of other people, even though I still think it's a really good fight. But for me, it's round four of Fury Wilder. Um, that's the fight that really leaps out in terms of drama and excitement and a little bit of momentum change and a, and a sense of, oh, my God, what the heck's going to happen? So that's my pick. Yeah, it's funny that when I was going into this and I had my list of nominees, I kind of thought I was going to pick that. And then I rewatched them all. And because it took a couple minutes to really get crazy. Now it was a wild final minute. It was the minute of the year. Um, But I thought just for a full round, it was more close contender than actual uh, deserving winner. Uh, I thought that uh, Chocolatito and Estrada edged it, but you you mentioned all the other ones uh, that that I would have as runners up. I think that Zerto Gonzalez fourth round might even be my number two. Um, the, The first minute was nothing special, but then the second and third minutes were just insane. Um, but yeah, and Fulton Figueroa, particularly, I thought round six, Al Bernstein called it a round for yep. the ages as it was ending. That was great. And uh, yeah, you, you mentioned all the others, Estrado, Chocolatito, round six, Davis Barrios, round 10. There were some real good ones this year. Uh, up next is knockout of the year. If you don't object, I will rattle through a couple of the contenders that I did sure, have. Sure, sure. Um, Brandon Lee over Samuel Taylor was an absolute beauty that we discussed at the time as being a contender for knockout of the year. Um, Gabe Rosado over Bektamir Melikusiev, sensational. Connor Ben over Chris Algieri the other week. Um, Jared Anderson over Kingsley Ebay. Um, F.A. Ajagba annihilating Brian Howard. And God help me, but we have to include Jake Paul over Tyron Woodley. It <laughs> yep. was a hell of a punch and a spectacular knockout. And it's so much so and so high pre- profile that I actually briefly asked myself if I had the stones to pick it. And I don't, um, which will be unsurprised by it. Uh, and honestly, <laughs> the, the quality of the opposition and the fight comes into it here. And as a result, my KO of the year is the one that it's been for some time. And that's Oscar Valdez's KO of Miguel Burchell. It was a significant fight atop the 130-pound division. Burchelt, the knockout Eve, was the favorite going into this. Um, But apart from all that, it was just the execution of the KO that was so splendid. The way Valdez kind of like took that half step back to give himself some space as Burchelt threw and then launched that counter while barely moving his feet. I thought it was just an absolutely beautifully executed knockout in a very important fight. Yeah, so I had five contenders that I could 
barely choose between, and you mentioned them all, uh, plus a couple of others that I hadn't thought of, but to me, any of these five would have been worthy choices. The five are Rosado against Beck Bully, Ben against Algieri, Valdez Burchelt that you picked, Brandon Lee, Sam Taya, and uh, a late addition, Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley, too. I think those are the top five in mm-hmm. just about any order. Zero argument with anyone who finds any of those to be their favorite knockout of the year. But I'm going with Rosado against Melikusiev because it was such a bolt from the blue. Yeah. A shocking upset. Uh, we'll talk upsets next. Um, a perfect punch and a knockout that just wasn't supposed to happen. So in a year in which five different KOs are so equal with each other aesthetically, in my view, I think the shock value wins it for Gabe Rosado. Nice. Yeah, that's that's fair enough. Okay. Um, so next up is upset of the year, and I go first on this one. Uh, I just mentioned one of the contenders, Rosado Melikuziev. That was one of my top four, but it's not my pick for this. Okay. To me, the upset of the year is Sandor Martin outboxing Mikey Garcia. I know Garcia isn't quite what he once was, and he's well above his best weight, but this was a fight lots of people criticized as a gross and dangerous mismatch, a total waste of Mikey's time and of a DAZN air date. Uh, The DAZN broadcasters were even apologizing for it when discussing it a week or two in advance. Um, You had a, a relative unknown who had previously failed when getting anywhere near this level, taking on a former pound-for-pound guy. This was supposed to be a simple shake-the-rust-off fight, and Mikey losing this reminds me a little of Roberto Duran losing the 1982 (laughs) upset of the year to Kirkland Lang. It was that kind of thing. It just never crossed your mind as a possibility until you were watching it unfold. So that, to me, was the upset of the year. How about you? Yeah, look, that's an extremely strong contender. Certainly can't have an issue with that. I uh, absolutely thought about it myself. Um, and again, Rosado Melikusiev. You've also got Mauricio Lara over Josh Warrington. That mm-hmm. was a sort of a clubhouse leader for a while. And you've got a couple of quasi-upsets that you could argue, but I don't actually think were really upsets. The underdog winning isn't necessarily the same as a huge upset, if you know what I mean, counterintuitive. And I mean for that, for example, Alexander Usyk over Anthony Joshua oh, or right. Valdez over Bachel. The dog won, not necessarily a huge upset. We went into it knowing that it could happen. Right. But I don't know that the same is true for my winner, which is George Cambosis Jr. over Teofimo Lopez. Mm -hmm. Clearly, there were extenuating circumstances given later revelations about Lopez's health, et cetera, et cetera. But that wasn't Cambosis doing. When I was on the uh, morning combat uh, a couple of days before that, um, Luke asked me about this fight. And I'm like, no way. Cambosis, there's nothing that Cambosis can do that is as good as Teofimo Lopez. Completely dismissed the notion of it. Um, and that was based as much on what Teofimo Lopez had been doing as, as, as anything that George Cambosis had brought to the table. And he set the table, the tone early with standing that early barrage, then dropping Lopez. Um, terrific performance by him. I don't know that rather like Martin Garcia, I don't think that anybody thought he had really much of a chance of, of winning that. Uh, I certainly didn't. And that's why it's my winner. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, I said I had a top four, and that was right in there, and that was probably the other one that I was torn between that and uh, Mikey Garcia and and Martin, but Rosado Beckbully and and Lara Warrington, uh, those were were my top four, and Lara Warrington being kind of a distant fourth for me. Um, 
Yeah, the other ones that I think are worthy of mention that were legitimately big upsets, but not quite on par with those top ones. Uh, Angel Fierro against Alberto Machado. Ah, yes. Anderson Silva beating Chavez Jr. Let's not forget that. Um, More recently, Kiko Martinez knocking out Kid Galahad. And then even more recently on Showtime just this month, Cody Crowley beating Kudratio Abdukakarov counts as a, a pretty big upset. Yeah. Wow. All right. So we've disagreed on uh, <laughs> the first three awards. How about that? I am shocked. I have a feeling that that disagreement is about to hit the buffers here. Um, I, I, I think we're going to be getting to consensus for our last couple of awards, but we will see. Uh, Fight of the Year is next. Um, notwithstanding various shouts for Lopez Cambosis or for Stephen Fulton, Brandon Figueroa, and, you know, maybe some late votes for Ramirez Gonzalez. I think, and I don't mean this to belittle any other fight, I think there are only two reasonable contenders here. Um, the rematch between Juan Francisco Estrada and Roman Gonzalez, which mm-hmm. you've already mentioned, which was just a phenomenally high-quality 12 rounds of prize fighting, of skill, of traps being set, counter-traps being sprung, um, all the way through from f- first minute of the first round to the last of the 12th. Incredibly high-caliber even if perhaps some of the gloss is taken off of it by a sense that maybe the wrong guy got the decision. We talked about that after the fight, and we both acknowledged that, you know, there were so many close rounds there that were so hard to score. Couldn't really say that there was a robbery there, but there was none that is a slight sense that, you know, Chocolatito had done enough there, and maybe that takes a little bit of, of the gloss off of that. Either way, um, I think even if the right decision had had, had gone down there, I still think that would have been second place on my list. I, I don't think there could be much doubt about who wins this uh, award. And that has to be Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder. The stakes matter when considering these awards. This was for the heavyweight championship of the world. Um, as I've said before, oddly, even though it's the second award I'm giving, I'm giving this fight, I'm not, I'm not quite as high on it as a lot of <laughs> folks were, even though... Uh, as I really, you know, because as I, I felt after the fourth round that Fury was really in control here and steadily beating Wilder down. But that said, there was still plenty of excitement and anticipation and edge of your seat stuff, especially when you have big guys with big punches throwing those punches at each other. You still don't quite know for certain when and if it's suddenly going to turn around. There was skill here, but oh my God, more than that, there was heart. Lordy, lordy. Um, this there were five knockdowns some real back and forth rounds just tremendous action this has to be the winner i think i think we're going to agree on this one we are but it occurs to me karen you are the schoolboy who has that girl he likes and he teases her (laughs) and he says he hates her but deep down it's just covering up that he's in love with her you love fury wilder three and you just were kind of their pigtails yes yes (laughs) now you're coming around and admitting it you love this fight and everything about it um i've been saying for a few months now how preposterous it is when these broadcasters try to affix the term fight of the year to any other fight after Fury and Wilder gave us what they gave us. So yeah, this is my pick. No hesitation. Heavyweight title fight with both guys on the canvas multiple times and the edge of your seat nature of this. It was an instant classic. So I will devote my time to listing top runners up instead of uh, talking any more about that fight. Estrada Chocolatito is definitely number two for me. Then I go at number three, Fulton Figueroa. What an outstanding fight. Also Fulton Leo, uh, although a bit too one-sided to get 
top of the list consideration. And I would say the same goes for Jaime Munguia and Gabe Rosado. Thrilling, but not oh, at I all close. That. Yeah, that... Good um... old Gabe. He's... God bless him. He's <laughs> yep. making a few appearances here. He sure is. Yep. Um, and then a, a couple of others worth mentioning. Uh, Druin Ancajas against Jonathan Rodriguez was an excellent 12 rounder on a Showtime card in April. Feels like it was a couple years ago now. Uh, April feels like a long time ago, yes. but uh, that was a good one. And and lastly, the female fight of the year, at least among the ones that I saw, uh, Michaela Mayer yeah. and Maeva Hamadouche uh, worth a, a mention here. Uh, okay. Now for... The grand prize, the fighter of the year. Um, we've touched on this during the year, so it should be no surprise. If a guy at the top of the sport fights three times in one yep. year and he scores three knockouts and two of those wins come against fellow title holders and legit top five guys in the division, it's just hard for anyone else fighting once or twice to measure up to that. So clearly, the fighter of the year, I can't imagine there being much debate, is Canelo Alvarez. Beating Avni Yeldirim meant nothing, although at least it was quick and dominant, three rounds done. Um, but he stopped previously unbeaten Billy Joe Saunders. He stopped previously unbeaten Caleb Plant. That is one hell of a year. Uh, so before I even get into any honorable mentions, are we on the same page about Canelo for Fighter of the Year? Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, the, the fact that he fought three times in and of itself is, is a factor. And yes, one of those fights was sort of a throwaway fight but you know billy joe saunders and caleb plan came into this their their contest with with canelo with real hopes of, of being able to spring the upset uh canelo broke saunders face and may have well have sent him into retirement caleb plan put on a tremendous performance but canelo just beat him down the guy who was already at the top of the rankings he took on more legit top contenders than anybody else he beat them down and he threw in a little a little uh yield him there for us as well has to be canelo alvarez has to be yeah um so should we talk about a few of the guys sure. who if not for canelo might have had a chance um I'll, I'll run through mine um i think i'd go Usyk as top runner up mm -hmm. followed by cambosos and yep. you know they were right up there as my top performances of the year that we discussed last week uh, i think stephen fulton deserves a mention even though the figueroa fight was razor close to have two big wins like he did Nonito Daner has to be yep. on the short list. Pair of yep. KO4s over much younger guys. And then I'd throw in your Dennis Ugas and Josh Taylor as well. Any, anyone else I didn't mention? Nope, that's my list completely. Exactly. Right. And, and you know, and Taylor might have had a stronger case had he not thrown away those last couple of rounds against right. Ramirez there and made it more definitive. But, um, yeah, Nonito put in a strong, <laughs> a strong case for himself. Uh, if he had one more of those... Uh, you know, we might be having a real uh, a real discussion mm -hmm. here, but no, it has to be Canelo. Yeah. All right. Well, that will do it for this week's Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. And almost for this year's Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. But we have two special editions coming your way to close out 2021. Two episodes of an oral history retrospective on the career of Manny Pacquiao. We're pretty pleased with it, actually, and we hope that you will be too. Uh, the first episode drops on the 22nd, and part two follows one week later, so do look out for them. Uh, but for now, that is it from us until 2022. Have a great, great holiday season. Thank you so much for listening to us all year. Be safe, be kind, and most of all, be well. <laughs>